Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 163, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, school has started in person here in the South. We'll give you our perspective on how that's going. And could a saliva test be a game changer for the education community? Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, some detailed tips on how you can humanize your classroom when teaching from a distance. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is August the 16th, 2020, and I'm joined by friend, principal, and co-host, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? Hello, hello. Well, let me tell you, yesterday, I was exhausted. My teachers returned. Today, I'm fired up again um, and thinking about all the things that I need to do tomorrow to protect 60 staff members. So it's a go for me. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to try to bring everyone up to speed. I know we have a lot of listeners um, from, they're all over the country and the South is going to be the first to open um, their schools really across the country. So if you're in the Northeast, you still have till post Labor Day to to kind of see what's happening down here in the South. Um, and just to bring anybody up to speed who's maybe never listened to us, um, you are starting class, I guess, is it the 20... 20- the 24th. Right. But you have Our teachers, teachers coming in. Our teachers reported next week. on the 14th. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. They actually, this weekend, this past week. Gotcha. Okay. So they're already reporting. And then you and I, on a personal level, we both have um, boys who are already in school. Um, yes. In high school, which started last Thursday. And that was the only day they went last week, but they're to like a full week starting tomorrow. So we are kind of already into the school starting back up. We have that perspective that maybe some other of our listeners may not have just yet. And I figure we, we need to talk about. About that a little bit like so what was absolutely you- because i've got two perspectives mom and principal <laughs> right exactly and and i'm i'm gonna of course be more from a parent um perspective as well um i, I picked up my son from school on uh, thursday and i was like all i wanted to talk about was how was it how was it like wearing a mask all day and he had a very positive attitude about it like almost optimistic and he almost got mad at me he's like i don't want to talk about wearing a mask all day it was fine i want to talk about my teachers that i have and my classes that i have and i kind of felt bad that's awesome like, well he made me feel bad yeah. because it was like that's what you would normally talk about with your child exactly when you pick him up from school how was your teachers what classes do you like what do you know mm-hmm. like, and that's all he wanted to talk about so he he did not seem that concerned however i'll say this and, and then i'll let you chime in when i was waiting in car line to pick him up that afternoon I got a text message that apparently was sent to all the seniors at the school saying, hey, if you have a senior who was at this big senior event this morning, which is a tradition at the school, you may have been or your senior may have been exposed to COVID-19. Are you in the loop on this? I'm in the loop and I have a question. Mm -hmm. So we're in a pandemic and I know what the senior event looks like. Tell me why you think they did not cancel it because if you've seen the senior event before, they're side by side. Mm-hmm. There's hundreds of them. They're all together in one location, having a fun senior run, senior shout, senior arrive to school. 
why didn't they cancel that? Yeah, I, I cannot give a good reason as to why not. And th- so folks know, I, th- we didn't do this at my high school, but at this high school, I've had uh, I have an older child who's now in college. Um, what they do is they like parade in on cars. They all ride together. It's usually like convertibles and Jeeps and stuff. And they have flags mm-hmm. and they're celebrating the start of their senior year. And then they get together and take pictures. And I guess mm-hmm. maybe I could say I'm okay with that. They wear that. their senior shirts. Yep. And I'm, I could say yeah. I, maybe I'm okay with that tradition continuing if you do it in the masked way. You know, if you have these new rules that we now have. However, I saw lots of photos and that wasn't the case. And then I actually talked no. to a, a parent or a slash teacher who was there. And he said none of the parents that were there, which I think were hundreds, had masks mm, on either, yes, except lots. maybe four or five. So it, it sounds like just a, handful. It a cluster. It was, it was quite the cluster to start the year. And it's disturbing to me because I can't tell. Is that a, is that a school-sponsored activity where administrators are at the start of the parade or is if it's not then why were they allowed on campus that way Mm -hmm. because once you make it to the campus and you go say to the football field where you do your senior run well what were the rules because there were certainly administrators and teachers at that portion of the event and I'm not speaking negatively about them because listen none of us have led or taught in a pandemic but I'm just thinking on the front end of all the years you've You've been um, associated with the senior event. You know what happens. Why didn't we plan it better? I, I, I'm just so concerned um, about some decisions that that we are making, or should I say, not making. And, and it's those things that are traditional, and this is applies to both school and life that we seem to be making the mistakes in. And so like, this is a tradition. So I think what you had in this case was you had one student, she could not either smell or taste. So she went and got a test um, over the weekend and she did not have her results back yet. Well, she didn't want to miss this tradition, this once in a lifetime opportunity as she sees it to go to this start of the senior year. And she went. Yeah. And then after she went and she wrote in cars, she's a child. So pictures. yeah. And I get, know, I get it. Obviously I get it. Yeah. But um, she then tested positive and that's what led to the school having to notify all seniors that your child may have been exposed. And, and I think it's, it's going to be, examples like that in life in school where you want it's such a big deal in your mind that you're not going to miss it and and because everybody can't take the rapid test right you understand Mm -hmm. so generically three to seven days you know to get your results back and that in itself is a concern for me because that's happening everywhere if you think you should you know you've been exposed you go get a test you don't feel very well you go get a test or you just get a test because you want to know well, those days in between that you're waiting on your results, you're exposing other people. Yeah, and I, I hope to bring us some good news on the testing front in just that regard later on in the show. Um, and it, But what happens is when you have a child who maybe tests positive, the cascading effect is, is pretty incredible because let's say mm-hmm. those parents may work at, let's just say Walmart, right? So now you have right. a, an employee at Walmart who needs to wait another you know, two to four days to find out if they're exposed. And then everyone who might have been around that parent is now has a question mark of, well, I was around her. And so it's just like this, like you said, that slow testing and then everyone trying to contact Trace on their own. It's very, very messy. It's messy. But at the same time, I think that um, we have to remain calm and we have to be positive. We can't get mad at the administration or whoever's making decisions about schools yeah. um, in, in our area. I just think that we have to think things through 
on the front end. And let me just say, as a parent, that just would have been a heated discussion in my household. You're not participating. You know, I'm so sorry. Uh, There's a lot of things that are being changed. Look at the different sports venues that are not occurring or being, you know, delayed or played at a different time. You know, this is this is one memory that, you know, you're not even going to think about it anymore after it happens. So just trying to rationalize with my child. And I just I just feel bad for all those that were involved. And as I am awaiting um, one more week before my students return, we're trying to, you know, turn every leaf possible um, and putting safety measures in place. But even with that, when when our teachers returned this Friday, we had our setup at the back door where they come in from the parking lot and we had it all set up and we thought it was great. Five minutes in, we recognized we needed to make an adjustment because even trying to get teachers to social distance was a little difficult because they're buddies. They've been working together. They've missed each other. So you're running drills essentially, right? Is what you're saying? Essentially, you know, so right in the middle of trying to take temperatures and, and, and we're filling out a form every day um, with our name and what time we're clocking in and what our temperature was so that in the event that someone tests positive, we can do some type of district contact tracing. But even in that process, we recognized some flaws in it and we adjusted it right then and there in the middle of trying to get our teachers signed in because we recognized the bottleneck. And even though they're wearing their masks, they're not social distancing and they're carrying all their things in and they want to sit it on the table. And it's like, no, your things are not sanitized. And it's frustrating for them it's frustrating for us, but I did appreciate recognizing just how difficult it's going to be to catch the temperature of hundreds of kids coming in at the same time off of buses. Well, kudos to you, though, for kind of like, you know, walking through those steps and actually so you can visualize, you know, what problems we may run into. I, I wonder if districts all over the country are doing that. I'm sure they are. We had to make adjustments to our duty schedule, how many people were going to be on duty. We changed everything by the end of the day. And then we're going to try again on Monday. Good thing is we've got, you know, five more days to make adjustments. And that's just with 60 staff members. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing hybrid. We could see 200 children show up on the first day of school. And that's going to be interesting trying to get the temperature of each child and to keep them socially distanced, you know, it's it's just a lot. I saw over in it's they're calling it the greater Phoenix area. So some sort of suburb of Phoenix. It's the J.O. Combs Unified School District. Um, yes. They had to cancel instruction tomorrow because of, quote, insufficient staffing. Apparently, the teachers are protesting mm-hmm. by calling in sick. Um, oh, wow. I mean, so this is the only case I've heard of teachers basically saying like it, this kind of quiet protest. Um, Let me be clear. Mm-hmm. It's not quiet. I that am experiencing true. a few things right now. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of people who um, are in their own way, in their subtle way. They're pretty they're being pretty clear that they don't want to be here. Um, and I'm not going to put the pressure on them. I'm not going to argue with them. They got to follow the appropriate um, board policy and procedure to not report to work. But that puts us in a bind because you can't get subs. Yeah. And so, yeah, what you does don't that- want subs, to be honest. Right. You know, you want in- the same people in the building every day. Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing and this goes back to the slow testing. We're seeing um, as these schools are starting to open, some schools have been open for almost a week that you're seeing these like 
big mass quarantines, like a hundred people here, a thousand people here, having to basically mm-hmm. um, isolate until they mm-hmm. get test results. This is going to be difficult. It, no matter, I mean, and I, I think it's admirable what every uh, school in the country is about to try and pull. Every off. educator is a is the true hero right now, and not just the certified. We need to talk about the non-certified, our bus drivers, our cafeteria right. workers, our custodians. Oh, my goodness. Our, our custodians, they are charged with the greatest task in opening schools is keeping the building safe and sanitary at the risk of their of their own health. What was your take on the governor of Mississippi's stance on football? He wants football to continue in the high schools. Um, he put out some some new guidelines, and I guess the the one that's probably the biggest one that you know the hardest hitting one is the fact that he's only going to allow each child to be represented by I guess two people, so a mom and a dad. So in a lot that of I mean, look, how many students go to our our, our son's high school? Fifteen hundred, two thousand probably at least okay there's 150 kids look there's 150 kids on the team Mm -hmm. all right that doesn't include what your water boys and things of that nature yeah then let's talk about cheer then let's talk about band and and then what else do we have we have the dance squad um we have our rotc come on yeah do the math we're gonna allow one two thousand people probably into the stadium i guess um in a stadium that probably seats I'm just I'm I'm shooting from the hip five six thousand I don't know yeah. Maybe, yeah maybe up to ten I don't know it's it's a big if you're sitting on both sides um, but yeah is that is that enough is it safe enough and then uh, you kind of have to ask but you're not going to be able to truly prevent right how are you going to prevent you know what what what's the procedure for that is there a list and they're going to put the mom and the dad's name down there and then when you show up then they got to cross you off I mean what what's I'm trying to see what is that going to look like. Um, so you're asking me what's my opinion of it? I'm a sports mom. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a coach's wife. Right. That is my husband's livelihood. Mm-hmm. If we were to completely shut down sports, we're talking about you know an unemployment situation in my household. So I, it's hard for me to respond to it. I hope and wish there's a way for them to conduct their sporting events and their and their tournaments and their games with the players being safe. But I am wholeheartedly concerned about how the spectator situation is going to go. And I'm a principal who has to serve duty to middle school football. Right. I'm a principal who needs to support the high school principal um, on Friday nights. And then, you know, being a high school football mom, Thursday nights, <laughs> coach's wife, I'm I'm in a pickle. Yeah, no, it's and for those that don't realize in the South, football is almost I think everything. It, it's everything. And I think it hit. <laughs> The leaders, the governors, the mayors, whoever, superintendents, it hit them pretty hard when it started to become a reality that, hey, football season may not go on. And and that has implications more than just, you know, whether or not we're spreading COVID. Those it's leaders, major financial implications. It's, it's financial implications. And it's also it's a reality check of where we mm-hmm. are by having to mm-hmm. cancel something that is, again, back to what I was saying earlier, a tradition, something that's expected. Um, right. I think that's why we're seeing um, such... Uh, questioning or, um, you know, careful movement in terms of trying to navigate this. Um, So it should be interesting. I I do, before we um, wrap up today, I want to talk about something, though, that I saw that I think has the potential to be very, very positive in all this in terms of the testing, which could be a game changer for us. Because I've seen this in two cases. There were two tests. One actually came out of, let me pull it up real quick. It was out of, I don't want to get it wrong. One's out of Yale. And apparently the FDA just approved a test that 
Yale had created where um, it's an FDA emergency use only where you can actually test for COVID with saliva. And, and why this is great isn't so much that necessarily it, it can be done fast. I mean, that is part of it. I've seen possibly, you know, assuming that the laboratories can handle it, it's it's three to six hours or so to get the results. But it's how cheap it is and how mm-hmm. you don't need, you know, you don't have the shortages and swabs. Like, it's, you don't even need as many materials and stuff. So, what potentially could happen here, and this was tested with the NBA, and it looks like there's another school doing their own version of these tests, and it's over at the uh, University of Illinois, and they're going to test their college students twice a week with the saliva test but wow yeah so because it's so cheap this could be really a game changer let's just say like a hypothetical in a high school situation we're talking about a football look i'm like how long is it going to take to roll it out well (laughs) apparently not not long because it's it's the supplies are easy to scale up it's not like it's like you need a vial and it's the collection process doesn't have to take place inside a, a hospital or anything like that or inside a clinic so basically i think it's more like you spit into this give me all these vials, we're going to go test them. So I'm sure like maybe a school nurse could possibly administer them or some sort of trainer wow. with, with a sports team. So the idea that we might be able to increase testing that quickly um, could be huge for schools. You know, these groups of like, say, a football team that has to get together. If you're testing them once a week, twice a week, or even just once every other week, I mean, anything's better than where we are right now. It just might tell us so much more and allow us to isolate any type of outbreak that may be starting up that we don't recognize. Yeah, that is very true. Wow, I hope that rolls out really fast. I, I do too. The, the fact that the FDA approved it, uh, I think it was yesterday, is a good sign. And so hopefully, there's there's, there's lots of reasons why that would be great. And obviously, um, for faster testing, um, you can get tested more often. But there are people who are afraid of the current test, the way that they are swabbing your nose and how far back they have to go. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can handle it. Right. And so then again, this is a, another easy solution, you know, works better with kids, I'm sure. Uh, and so and you also think about it from say, if you're a small business, let's say you, you have a, a small retail store or a small restaurant, and you think or you hear that one of your employees may have been exposed to COVID. What does that mean for you today before the saliva test? That means that you have to figure out who that employee came in contact with in your Mm -hmm. place. And then you've got to send all those people to either get a slow test, which could take Mm -hmm. three to six days, or they have to go get a rapid test, which you probably have to pay extra for. And that, and there is an extra fee. And so the idea that you could quickly test your staff, if you're a small business once a week or once every other week, you know, that, that gives you a lot of confidence that you're, you're it's one, you're doing the right thing. It also gives you confidence that you're not, not leading to the spread of COVID-19. And I think this for schools so, and small businesses, this could be huge. Just a quick question, because I'm always thinking about policy. I can't help that as a school leader. Mm-hmm. So even with that option available, can you mandate an employee to let you test them? So that's a, that's a good question. That's another show. <laughs> yeah, no, and that that is a fair question. And and I get it. Like, we all, you know, want our privacy. You can do it in a school district because it can become board policy. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking specifically about small businesses and businesses in general. I don't know if you could mandate it or not. That, that is a fair question. I think I'd have to say if you choose not, then I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah, exactly. I, I would like to be able to say that. You would like to think that you, that wouldn't come back to bite you. I also feel like... I don't like- think that's wrongful. I think that's a safety issue. And if that's that's a covenant that you want to have in your business, that we ensure the safety of all employees, as well as the clientele we're serving. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like it's common sense. Yeah, we got to do this. Um, but if you're not willing, um, then either you're going to go somewhere else and bring me a test <laughs> results, 
or what? I, I really would like to um, I mean, just for, d- dive into that. For me as an individual, and I get it, like there's all sorts of legal ramifications and somebody could say it's against my religious rights to do this or be forced mm-hmm. to do Like there's lots of things that could happen. But for me as an individual, I would like to say I would be doing the patriotic thing, the right thing by mm-hmm. giving up a little bit of my privacy and my personal life to I make sure. I love how you said that, the patriotic thing and the right thing. I wish a lot of people would do the patriotic thing and the right thing and wear their mask. Well, and it's like you remember me talking about maybe a, a couple months ago that Google and Apple were working on this contact tracing app. Well, th- they created it. But there was concern that no one would be willing to use it to turn it on their phone because people were concerned about privacy. Me personally, I would be willing to give up a little privacy if that meant that we could better trace mm-hmm. who has it and who doesn't. But right. I get it. There, there's this, you know, we live in America, the, the land of the free, and it's hard to ask people to give up these things. But I don't know. I mean, for me, until we get through this, I'm, I want to do my part, and, and I hope others do too. I agree. All right. So are you ready for uh, today's bright idea? Oh, I'm really excited about it. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is here to give us some thoughtful tips on how you can humanize your digital classroom. Dave Stewart Jr. is a high school educator out of Michigan and is the author of These Six Things, How to Focus Your Teaching on What Matters Most. Dave, welcome to Class Dismissed. Nick, thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, it, this is good because I, I read your your article and I just your tips are really good and, and I think you even admit in the article like these were best practices that already exist about humanizing uh, a classroom digitally right yeah that's right so you you pinned this article and it's actually received a little bit of buzz I, I noticed it over in uh, the Marshall memo and and it was all about this humanizing this distance learning. Why was this important to you? I guess we've kind of been at this for what, are we pushing five months now? Mm-hmm. But but you must have felt like I've got to get the word out on how we can make this more personal. Well, I felt it existentially as a teacher who's facing what's going to be a, a year of at, at least probably some online instruction for my students in West Michigan, if not, if not a lot of it. And uh, we know that if there's no human connection happening between the the student and the learning space, then it's way more likely that the student will disengage. This is true in the physical classroom, but it's especially true in the remote classroom. And I was seeing all these teachers on the internet, like despairing for this scenario that confronts us. And I wanted to do some research and write about that. Right. And so what is your plan right now for your district? Are you guys hybrid? What type of model are y'all going to be going into? Yeah, as of as of this moment, we're going to be in person with all the mitigation measures that we can do, but that's going to be fully in person. But we start after Labor Day, so you know, there's a lot of time for that to change. Right. And I guess, you know, most of the educators I talk to, uh, we're, we're about to start school. We are, are starting school here in the South and many um, areas. Mm-hmm. And and the thought is, you know, all right, we're going to give this a go, but I wouldn't be surprised within a month things change and, and we all find ourselves doing distance learning. So I think this is very timely with what you have here. And you break down your, your article in kind of two parts. I mean, you open up talking about the challenges that you have making a connection with your students, even when you're in person, right? That's right. We think that we control so much about the in-person learning environment, but there are so many factors that we don't control, right? If one of my freshmen is coming from lunch and at lunch he has had a bad interaction with his peer group, well, there's a lot going on inside of that student that's invisible to me. I am not aware of it, but it is completely affecting the degree to which he's engaged in my class. 
So in-person learning is actually not as easy for connection as we sometimes think. But of course, there are even more variables at play with remote learning. So the skeptic would probably say, all right, if we're establishing that it's a struggle in person, how in the world can we ever get to a point where I'm going to be able to connect with somebody through (laughs) video? Yeah, yeah, I know. Good job, skeptic. Those are the right questions to be asking. So so let's jump into it. I mean, you have some tips and, and I really like them. Yeah, well, the, the overarching principle is that a humanized learning space is one where a student feels valued, known, respected, and safe. So there are things that you can do when you're with a child in person, such as seeking to create just brief moments of connection where you're saying something specific to that child about what you see in them, what you appreciate about them. You can do that in person and you can also do that through remote means. That's just a very simple starting place for humanizing a learning space. Understanding what we're trying to do is create a regular experience for students where we reach out to them, brief little attempts to make them feel valued, known, and respected. We can do that remotely. We can Teachers all over the country are going to be in different positions as we were just talking about. Some are going to be doing this with half their class or just a few students distantly while others may be in person. Um, But one of the first tips in there is tell your story, which really can be accomplished whether you were in person or doing it remotely. But let's talk about it in a a remote format. I mean, how, how would a teacher tell their story out the gate day one with using a computer? Step one to humanizing a learning space is to humanize yourself as the teacher. Uh, You don't do that by running through your resume. You do that. I mean, one of the easiest ways is to tell a story and the story most relevant to your students is why are you their teacher right now? So you walk them through and if you're remote, you do this through a video, you record this. It's actually going to be easier to do this storytelling remotely than it's going to be in person because you can get in front of your smartphone with a few bullet points, um, things like how long have you been teaching at your current location? What, what were some of your first jobs before you became a teacher? What was college like? Did you always want to be a teacher or did you change at some point? Real basic bullets that you can have in front of you on a piece of paper. And then you click record on a smartphone and you take a, enough takes to where you feel like you've got a you know, two to five minute clip that tells a story. You're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for a real person talking to a camera through a camera to students and telling them, hey, this is why I'm your teacher right now. And, you know, in in this video, Nick, if you can maybe allude to the fact that you like teaching, you're excited to be a teacher, this is something that is really important to you, then you'll also start to demonstrate credibility. You you make a point to say that the video's don't need to be too polished or professional. And this is really all the, the videos. And and I'll, I'll say this, I, I specialize a lot in helping companies, you know, shoot videos and, and I like to have good audio and good quality, but I, I could not agree more with you to almost have, you know, it doesn't need to be perfect. It's okay to be a little bit amateur because it, 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 I guess it humanizes right. the teacher. Right. I, th- I think a huge temptation for teachers in remote learning is there are amazing YouTube videos on about anything that we could want to teach, right? So I'm a world history teacher some of the time. There's these awesome crash course world histories videos. There's this guy Heimler who does these uh, uh, world history videos. Like there's multiple YouTube channels that are just excellent, engaging, polished. They've got music and visuals and the um, 
you know, the hosts are funny. So the temptation is let's just queue up a lot of videos for our students to watch. Here's the thing though, that'll feel like a YouTube channel. Like you're just sort of DJing YouTube for students. You won't create a humanized learning space if you do that. So the people who have been doing this for a long time, they say, take the extra effort to make brief, imperfect, imperfect instructional videos videos yourself. Even if it's just you introducing, hey, these are three points in the video that follows that are really important to today's learning objective students. And what I like about this video is that the author shows a couple of images in the middle that are really, really great illustrations of principle A in today's lesson or event B. So as you watch this video, take special note of that. These brief instructional videos made by us, made by their actual instructor, go a long way to make students understand this is a place where I have a flesh and blood teacher. Even though I don't see them in person, I see them create these little videos for me every week. Do you recommend educators, you know, almost bringing in things in their personal life into the video? I mean, whether it's a love for coffee or a pet that they may have that's nearby as they're mm -hmm. shooting these videos. I mean, do, do you kind of like that idea or do you think it should just focus on the learning? So one of the researchers who I really appreciated is uh, an instructor named Michelle Pekansky Brock. And she does actually say if, if those little impromptu things pop up, don't, don't act like something terrible has happened. You don't need to reshoot the video. Yes, yeah, mention at the beginning of her video, okay, students, I've got a fresh cup of, you know, single-sourced Kenyan here in front of me, and I'm so excited. Like, show, show a little bit of your coffee, nerd. You can have your cat walk by once in a while. Of course, you don't want you don't, you don't to go too far and make the, the video distracting, but these little tiny glimpses into your life will actually intrigue a lot of your students and go further in humanizing you. I know you recommend teachers to send video postcards. What do you mean by that? Yeah, another idea from Pekansky Brock. And um, a lot of teachers did this during the first months of COVID. They're out on a walk maybe, or they're uh, having their morning cup of coffee and they send their students just a brief video note saying, hey, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm taking a walk uh, in my neighborhood. And I just wanted y'all to know I'm thinking about you today. I hope that Oh, I hope that something happens to you today that brightens your day. And uh, you need anything, make sure that you reach out. And you post this on your, your Google Classroom announcements stream or whatever platform that you're using. And it's, it's non-instructional. It's really short. But it is a touch that goes a long way to tell students. And by the way, parents or guardians who are often seeing what's going on in this, these online classes, it really communicates to all these stakeholders, wow, this teacher really takes seriously what they're doing. And it's not a high effort intervention by us, right? Absolutely. And how much of this communication should happen on a one-to-one on a -one basis, in your opinion? So much of this does not need to happen on a one-to-one -one basis. The brief instructional videos should be whole class, video postcards, whole class. The students who especially need some one-on-one -on -one connection are the students who are feeling nervous or anxious or overwhelmed about remote learning. This is why I recommend whenever you make a remote learning transition, be sure to send out a brief survey. And one question that you really need to ask is, how are you feeling about this next segment of our learning, this whatever it is, three weeks, six weeks, semester? How are you feeling? Tell me 
what your feelings are like. And for students who feel fine or bored or whatever, apathetic, don't worry about them right now. Target the ones who feel anxious, who are nervous, who don't think they're going to be able to succeed, who are scared. And write a brief note. This could be an email. This could be a, a text through Remind, the Remind app or Google Voice or whatever. Some direct message that's quick telling them that you hear how they're feeling, you understand, and they can be in touch if they need anything. And you're committed to helping them, to serving as a partner to them in succeeding even in this tough circumstance. So just to be clear there, Nick, we're not doing that for everybody, just the students who will benefit the most from it. And will you say identify high opportunity students? What do you mean by that? Who are those people? Those are the high opportunity students, those okay. exact people that we're talking about. Yep. Another question that Pekansky Brock recommends asking in that survey is what's most likely to get in the way of your success during remote instruction? And so if you've got a student here who's going to be in charge of uh, uh, child care for three younger siblings, mm -hmm. that question is designed to get you that information so that if and when they begin to become disengaged in your class, you can reach out and say, hey, how's it been going with child care? I want you to know that I understand this is hard and I'm committed to helping you succeed. What can I do to help you succeed? Right. And which kind of leads to what, what I think you call an example of being a warm demander. And I think you, you give us an actual example. The, the thing about the remote learning platforms that we're using is that we get a lot of data oftentimes, like you can see whether or not students are viewing your videos or turning in your assignments. And so when you start to identify that students are developing a pattern of not turning things in or not logging on, you briefly reach out and you draw upon any information that you have about their struggles. And so, yeah, in this one example on the article, I, a student who I'm calling Anita, I say, hey, are, are you all right? I noticed you haven't completed the last two assignments. How are things going with your living situation? Are, are you still watching those siblings most of the day? Please just reply with an update so I can help you get back on track with the course. I know you can do this. I believe in you. want to see you succeed. So this is what uh, what Judith Kleinfeld, way back in the 70s, she called this a warm demander approach. You're not letting the student off. You're not communicating, hey, it's fine if you don't get any of this done. It, it's totally fine. But you're also not communicating, I don't care about your living circumstance. You just have to do this work. You're being warm and demanding. And that's highly useful for students, especially students who feel marginalized. What do you think the biggest fear of the teacher is in trying to teach distantly? And, and I guess one thing that comes to mind for me is, well, if I have to teach half my class in person in, in another group, it's, first off, that's just a lot of extra work. I mean, I, how, how are teachers feeling right now, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the scenario that you're describing, I think, is going to prove to be one of the most difficult for teachers. If the, the hybrid formats where um, they're teaching one group for two days and another group for two days, and at the same time, they're doing the opposite group online, that is going to be incredibly laborious. Schools, teachers, teams are going to have to come up with efficient workarounds. And we're going to have to realize that with this format comes sacrifice. There's only so many hours that the human being can productively work per day. 
So we really have to look at the format in order to draw the specific best practices that are going to work for us, right? I recommend trying to have a moment of genuine connection with every student at least once every two weeks. Well, if you've got a super demanding format and you teach 170 students on your rosters, then you probably need to change that, right? You need to ignore my recommendation and make it maybe every four weeks because there's just only so much time. And I would suspect a lot of teachers are feeling anxious about this because this is maybe not messaging that they're receiving enough. What they're receiving is, we've got to make this better than spring. This has to be a legitimate educational experience. And so, you know, let's go and let's let's save the day here in fall 2020. And that just places a lot of pressure on a group of people who typically already place a lot of pressure on themselves. Yeah, no doubt. And and you kind of teed up my next question is, I mean, can we make this better than spring? I know we've had more time, mm-hmm. but are teachers equipped to do this digitally? And I know you're offering resources yourself, but I mean, it's, yeah. it just seems so difficult. And I wonder, you know, I'm a parent of a high schooler and a kindergartner. And I mean, can, can we pull this off? Should we have to go into some sort of lockdown and close schools again? Yeah. Well, you know, Nick, absolutely. Right. Because I believe in each of our teacher teams around the whole country, we have a lot of experiential knowledge that if we if we trust it and if we think about what we know works from our experience, from research, and make smart applications to our unique constraints, then I know we can do better than spring. But there's a lot of ifs in what I just said, right? So much of this, I mean, leaders have a super high call now. And mm-hmm. by the way, I have a lot of compassion for people in leadership positions in education right now because they've faced some pretty impossible decisions this mm-hmm. summer. Every night when they've gone to bed, they've felt the weight on their shoulders of, if I pick this, then here are the very real risks that people will face. Or if I pick this, here are the very real risks people are facing. There, I, I don't think there are any super easy solutions here. But with that said, our leaders really need to present clear, clearly articulated messages of how we're going to succeed. Not just, I know that we can, but this is how we're going to succeed. These are the people we're going to look to for guidance during this. These are the PD providers that we're going to look to for guidance versus just, okay, teachers, go out there and search the internet for resources and make it happen. Because that'll be really stressful and all over the place. Well, I tell you, Dave, I, I read a lot of different, you know, articles and blog posts and, and educational type stories out there. And and yours just really hit a core with me because like you were just saying, it's meaningful. I really love these tips. I mean, it's it's more than just, you know, here's how to set up a camera and send a video. This is here's how to connect with your students. The hardest part of all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, kudos to you and, and this work that you're kind of putting mm-hmm. together here. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Um, if anybody wants to keep up with you, where's a good place? Uh, I know you have a website, right? Yeah, DaveStewartJr.com will get you access to my, um, you know, 600 or so articles that I've written. And if you click on the newsletter uh, button up at the top, then you'll never miss a new post. And I'll be writing a lot this year that's practical and hopefully helpfully deep uh, as we continue to take this all one day at a time. And are you on social media as well? You like to hang out on Twitter or anywhere like that? Yeah. Yeah. I go on Twitter every few days. Dave Stewart Jr. on Twitter. 
I'm trying to tweet more useful things as we go into the fall. I'm exploring that medium. It's kind of been a passive place for me in the past, but I am finding it more and more useful. Well, sometimes that's a good thing because it yeah. can be a nasty place as well. I, I envy you if you're only going on every few days. So, yes, yes. Um, it's all good. Well, Dave Stewart Jr., again, we appreciate your time. Are you ready for our pop quiz? Pop quiz. I've been looking forward to it the whole time, Nick. All right. Uh, first question. If students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh, man. You didn't tell me this is going to be so hard. Yeah. Uh, which subject would it be? Mm, I'm just going to go. I'm going to stick with the home team and say history. All right. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? We should be teaching the role that knowledge plays in enabling you to think critically and solve problems. Ah, I think that's the first time we've had that answer. I like that. What does every child deserve? Every child deserves a credible teacher, somebody who they view as good at teaching. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? Understanding what they can ignore and what they should give most of their time and attention to. What's the best gift to give an educator? Uh, time would be the best gift if you could find a way to do it. Babysit their children. <laughs> <laughs> Which teacher changed your life? Uh, many teachers. I will go with uh, Dr. Ann Gear at the University of Michigan. She was the most, one of the most impactful um, professors that I had in college. How so? Oh, she just she ran a very small program called Teach for Tomorrow, Teachers for Tomorrow. Super small program at U of M, and we we sat around a table, myself and eight other undergrads, and we talked about culturally relevant pedagogy. And those were some of the best conversations I had in college. And last question, pen or pencil? Going to have to go pen. All right, Dave Stewart Jr. You can find him over at DaveStewartJr.com. We so much appreciate you joining us on Class Dismissed. Thanks a lot, Nick. I appreciate it too. going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class Dismissed!